we are continuing in our series, Questions for God. Uh, we see we got communion coming up here in a little bit. We'll get to that um, after we uh, do some study together. Um, we've done several biggies. We've done, you know, um, how do I know that I'm uh, really saved? And uh, is it okay to doubt? And what is heaven going to be like? And what does the Bible say uh, about sexuality and this kind of thing? Uh, today we take up another very light topic, uh, and that is the question of, is there such a thing as political discipleship? Yeah, okay. Everybody's like, mm. we'll see how this goes. Yeah, me too. That's kind of how I'm thinking. We'll see how this goes. Um, <clears throat> the, the questions that rolled in express themselves like, can a Christian uh, be a, and then you fill in your favorite um, um, political party or the opposite, you know, of your favorite political party. Um, how should a Christian vote? Can a Christian be a one-issue voter? All of these kind of things. I'm going to put all of my cards on the table here at the get-go. Uh, I am a political as well as social as well as theological conservative, okay? I lean pretty far right. Um, I've had the same haircut since Reagan was in office, okay? True statement. No kidding. I'm not kidding at all. So uh, I just I, I'm putting all my cards on the table to say that's kind of my bent, and so I don't want you to hear me... Um, I'm trying to advocate for a position because that's not what I'm after. You and I can go have a cup of coffee this morning um, or, or uh, sometime this week and we can talk politics all day long. Today is not about that. Today is about trying to lay out a framework by which we think and by which we interact and by which we understand the political climate in which we find ourselves as a, as, uh, as a culture and how we as a church then engage that, okay? Not advocating for a position, not advocating for a candidate. That's not the, that's not the agenda this morning. The question is, how can you and I build a framework into our lives so that we can, you and I collectively can, um, uh, think about and interact with the things that are going on politically in our world? That's what we're after this morning. So with all of that um, on the table, again, I, <clears throat> I am trying to be very, we collectively are trying to be very practical in this series. So as we'll, even as we're building out a framework, we'll try to take a practical step or two in each of these little pieces. But um, just wanted to let you know where we're headed. If you have your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one of those. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event and follow along right now. It'll have the scriptures and the sermon notes and all of uh, some other announcements as well. So, all right, here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, the, the reason why I think it's important for us to take up this particular topic, in addition to this was one of the questions, one of the series of questions that you asked, um, as we solicited input for this series. But uh, the reason I think it's important is because they just released a survey maybe a month or so ago uh, dealing with evangelicals and the um, election cycle and how this is going to happen. They dug really deep into some of those numbers and stuff. Um, and here's the thing. In, in 2016, evangelicals, those who claim that they believe the Bible is the word of God and Jesus is the son of God who was, um, uh, lived a perfect life and crucified and rose again bodily and is returning one day and we should share the good news. Those people who identify themselves by those kind of big markers of evangelical life, only 40% said they wanted to hear from the Bible about their voting. Hilarious, isn't it? It's awesome. This is a great sermon so far. So, I mean, just if we collectively in this room, and I, I know we're way better than average, okay? I know, look down the row, you can just see that we're way better than average. 
But if we collectively in this room were uh, representative of evangelical life in America, three out of every five of you would say, I don't really care what the Bible says about politics. I'm going to vote as I'm going to vote. I'm going to engage as I'm going to engage. Um, And I would say back to that very gently, but very clearly. We close every service by saying Jesus reigns over everything but politics. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. Jesus reigns over everything. Therefore, we need to hear from him um, regarding this, okay? Um, We tend to, I think, collectively, again, I'm speaking broadly, broad brushes here, not coming after any individual in here. Um, We we tend to take both our content as well as our civility uh, from the cable news, Shame on us for that. 1 Timothy chapter 2, you ready? Let's build out a framework for political discipleship. Verse 1, first of all, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. We just put those four words together, supplications, prayers, thanksgivings, and intercessions. What is Paul talking about there? I want us collectively, Paul is saying, I want us to do what? To pray. I want us to be people of prayer. If we're going to build out a political, if you will, discipleship, what do we do first? We pray. And I don't mean what do we do and as in what comes first in the text. No, no. What do we do first? Where does, where does political discipleship begin? Where does it begin? It begins with prayer. That's why he says, first of all, then, <laughs> I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. We pray, and what, who, in this case, do we pray for? He says in verse 2, um, especially for those, for kings and all who are in high positions. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But let's start with, if we're going to be people who follow Jesus and let him speak into this particular aspect of our lives and of our culture and how we interact with this, we have to start, first of all, I want to be a people of prayer. That's how we build this out. First foundational piece that we need to set in is prayer. Why? Because prayer gives us perspective on things. Who's with me on that? I can pray about things and and understand that there are things that are more important and less important because uh, as I interact with God, prayer puts us in touch with what is ultimate and what is real. Everybody with me on that? It puts us in touch with what's ultimate and is real. And so as we pray, we are interacting with the God who said some things like, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. He was almost saying, hey, it it may not be as important as you think. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God. We are interacting as we pray. We're interacting with the one who would say to Pilate, the Roman governor, you don't have any authority that wasn't given to you. That's gutsy. We are interacting with the one who said to Pilate, the same governor, my kingdom is not of this world. We're interacting with the one who said, hey, don't fear the one who can kill the body and after that do nothing else. Fear the one who can kill the body and after that throw the soul into hell. You want to fear somebody, fear him. Prayer puts some things in perspective for us because it helps us to interact with what's real and what's ultimate and we cannot get past that. But it also um, taps us into 
um, power to actually do some things. Prayer, um, if we believe that prayer can and actually does change things, why would we start anywhere else? We start with prayer because prayer does change things because prayer has a power to, to shift things in the world. Prayer has a power to, to change situations and to change people in those situations. We begin with prayer because we believe that prayer can and actually does change things. When we pray, specifically for those who govern us, we pray for wisdom because they need wisdom. I mean, if you and I need wisdom to navigate whatever we're facing, right? I mean, just, just think about some of the uh, issues that you're facing at work or uh, uh, some health situation or some uh, moment that you would describe as a crisis, and then you kind of ratchet that up on a national scale to where nothing hits your desk unless it's like crisis-level explosive moment, right? I mean, nothing gets that high. If we need wisdom to handle the little things that you and I are handling, how much more do those who lead us in government need wisdom? And so we, what do we do? We pray for them for wisdom. We pray for them for character. Why? Because character can lead you when experience and training and education fail you. So we pray for character. In that same poll that only 40% wanted um, input from the Bible regarding um, politics, it was known, it was made known, that 72% of evangelicals said it doesn't really matter what their private life is like as much as, as long as they're publicly doing what they're supposed to be doing. Shame, 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 shame on that. It's not what we said 20 years ago in the mid-90s. Power, power to change things, okay? Prayer has power to change things. So we pray for wisdom, we pray for character, we pray that they would actually do the things that they're supposed to be doing, accomplish those things. Um, and I simply point, tell you this story, I found it in, in studying this week. Um, there's a little church in Leipzig, Germany, and uh, in May of 1989, St. Nicholas Church, about 12 people gathered to read the Sermon on the Mount and to pray for peace. And that 12 became 20, and that 20 became 50, and that 50 became 100, and that 100 became 1,000. And on October the 9th, 2,000 people fit inside St. Nicholas Church, and 10,000 people were outside reading the Sermon on the Mount and praying for peace. And shortly thereafter, the Berlin Wall came. Because that's what they were praying for. Pray first. Where do we start? We start with prayer. As I said, there's a practical step kind of in each, each of these. And I, here, here <laughs> putting it out there, okay? But here's the practical step for you and for me. You ready? Election day is Tuesday, in case you didn't know that. Uh, but let, let's do this. Let's just make a commitment to one another. I'm not saying this is law for Heritage Park. Nobody's going to come cracking the whip or knocking on your door if you don't choose to. Let's pray and let's not post. I mean, like, like let's pray and let's just, for two weeks, let's just pray and let's leave all the rest off of our social media accounts. Let's just pray. Don't post. Let's pray and see if God wouldn't do something in us, for us, with us even. It all starts. Where, where does it start, church family? It starts with prayer. That's where it starts. Okay. Verse 2. <clears throat> if we're going to build out this framework for political discipleship, 
It starts with prayer. It continues. It says, verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. So whenever we talk about kings and high positions, there's something for us there. And that is that we also, not only do we pray, but we also submit. Um, <clears throat> the Bible is replete, absolutely full of, of um, examples of of. God called people and God called um, uh, groups of people speaking truth to power. That's absolutely true. But the, the teaching is also like God has put these things, the, the teaching of the church has been, God has put these, these authority structures in place and we would generally be inclined to submit to them. And so that's where we have kings and those in high places. And so if you um, have your Bible, you can turn back to the left to the book of Romans, verse 13, excuse me, chapter 13. And just read along with me here for just a moment. I just want to describe who these people are and what they're charged by God to do. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, um, or gossips against those whom God has appointed, or post things that are not true about those, those that God has appointed. Verse on, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So who, we submit to these authorities, these kings and those in high places, the, one, the very ones that we've been praying for, who they are are God's servants. That's how Paul describes them here. That's how Peter describes them in 1 Peter chapter 2. They are God's servants. And don't miss that. Um, they, are, they are put there. Um, they are God's appointed leaders. There's been kind of three different ways that the church and, and the state have interacted with one another. Uh, one is kind of theocracy. That is, um, the church rules the state, right? If the priest is at the top of the org chart, so to speak, the church is ruling the state. We call that a theocracy. Um, generally speaking, that has gone very, very poorly. Why? Because the heart of man and woman is corrupt. It doesn't matter who you put at the top. They're always going to still be a sinner. Then, over here, right, and I mean, you see this in ancient Israel, you see this in the Holy Roman Empire, and all sorts of examples all throughout, okay? Then over here, you've got the church, uh, excuse me, the state ruling the church. Theocracy is the uh, uh, church ruling the state. Over here, you've got the state ruling the church. We call that nationalism. Uh, basically, that uh, the, the church becomes servant to the purposes of the state. So instead of a priest at the top of the org chart, you've got a politician at the top of the org chart. How's that going to work? Terribly. I mean, it just always works that way because they will always work to keep power, right? And if the church then uh, um, uh, yields to that, submits to that inappropriately, it becomes all sorts of crazy. And then you've got what you and I have the blessing to experience in. The church is separate from the state. Um, Thomas Jefferson uh, famously coined the wall of separation of church and state. By the way, he wrote that in a letter to the, the, a group in Danbury, Connecticut, a group of Baptist churches in Danbury, Connecticut. It's funny enough. So, um, you know, that, it's part of our heritage. It's part of the reason we champion that. Because in that way, the church gets to run in its lane, being the voice uh, for, for good and the, and the uh, proclaimer of the kingdom of God in the world. And the state gets to run in its lane, rewarding good and punishing evil. That's exactly what 
um, that, that God has given them to do. So who they are, servants of God, uh, those in, in our particular case, we have the church separate from the state, grateful for that. What they do is that they reward good and punish evil. That's what it says in Romans 13. They have a protective function, if you will, and they have a, a policing function, if you will. And then what you and I do as a response to that, what, what they do is <clears throat> lead. What we do, you and I do, as a response to that is to submit. He says in verse 1 of chapter 13, let every person be subject or be submissive. Again, in 1 Peter 2 and on, other places. Um, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 1, other places. Okay, there's just other places where... We are encouraged to submit. What does submission look like? It looks like, ready? Here we go. Um, When we submit, this is how the Bible describes this over and over again. We encourage godly leadership. We affirm godly leadership when we see it. And we ultimately follow godly leadership. That's what submission looks like in every relationship in which we are called uh, to submit. We encourage godly leadership. And I would say in our political realm, we encourage godly leadership without demonizing the other. We affirm godly leadership without idolizing it. And lastly, we follow godly leadership without compromising. That's what we are called to do. Um, our, our, I think in our cultural moment, our unending critiques of political leaders in this generation are setting up the next generation to critique not just political leaders, but all leaders. So, are bent towards encouraging, affirming, and following God's leadership needs to be evident, okay? Um, one of the practical questions that came out of this, just very quickly, um, what, okay, so encourage, follow, or excuse me, encourage, affirm, and follow God's leadership. Can I be a one-issue voter? Can there be something so important to me that it determines how I vote? Um, I'll give you this example, okay? Uh, let's say on August 1st of every year, um, I, I mean, all the rest of the year, all the other 364 days of, of the year, I, as a pastor, do the things that I'm supposed to do. I preach the Bible, counsel people, um, lead the organization, visit people in the hospital, pray, all of those things. But on August 1st every year, I take an extra $10,000 out of the church bank account. JB, how long would I last, you think? Not very long, huh? Are you a one-issue church person? I mean, I only do it one time a year, right? There's something so consequential that it rules out me fulfilling the rest of this. So the question is, can I be a one-issue voter? The answer is yes. If there's something so consequential that it would rule out a candidate or, or, or um, a, a, a platform or, or something else, yes, it's, it's true. It's true. We have to be wise in how we determine what that is. But there can be something so important that, that it rules out and excludes some of these other things, just like in that moment it would be for me too. Um, so the practical question, I think, for, for you and for me, just to step this up, is that can I critique my own tribe? C- can I look, I, again, I'm politically, socially, theologically conservative. Can I look at the conservatives around me, who I think are like me, and critique it? I mean, give genuine critique. I think we missed it here. And, and, you want to know if you're encouraging, affirming, and following godly leadership, can you not only critique your own group, but can you give credit to the other one? Whatever it is for you. 
can you give credit? When they do something good, can you give credit to them? That's where we want to be. Okay, back to 1 Timothy 2. We pray first. We, we posture ourselves in general submission um, to what uh, God is doing uh, in the world through the ruling um, through the rulers that he's placed over us. Okay, verse two, for kings, pray for kings and for all who are in high positions. And they go, why? That, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we pray, we submit, and then folks, we go about living. We just live. We live. Why? Because politics is not the end all and be all. Because there are things that are more important than this. Yes? Who's with me? Everybody should be, okay? We live godly, godly lives quietly. We live godly lives with dignity. We live godly lives that are consequential. That's where I want to start, is that you and I live consequentially. We have things where we, um, where we commit ourselves to, and we, by living these things, they are consequential in and of themselves. They are impacting on others. They, they, they make a difference maybe in our sphere or in our neighborhood or at our school or at our office. We live lives that are consequential. We pray for kings and all who are in high places that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. There's more to life than politics. What would that look like? Uh, I think a scripture come up, tell me that scripture from 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3. Just listen to what it says. For even when we were with you, Paul's writing, uh, we would command you, give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their own work. And then he uses the exact same word, quietly, and to earn their own living. Get about the business of doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. Don't get lost in this or in that. Don't, don't let every conversation turn towards um, what so-and-so said or what you heard on the news or what so-and-so said on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever your particular palate can handle. Just get about the business of living. That's what he's saying. Well, what would that look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Just listen to this. Don't, just listen. This is Ephesians 4. Just listen. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Speak truth, each of you, to one another. For we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. (laughs) And don't let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief who steals steal no longer. But rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. This is a tough one. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth or off of your keyboard. It actually says that in my version. I don't know about yours. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is... Uh, is as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put aside along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You want to know what a consequential life looks like? Let's go live that out right there. What would your office look like? 
What would your um, neighborhood look like? Your school look like? Your classroom look like? What would your other key relationships look like if we lived that out? Go about the business of doing that. Why is that important to say? Because I think we, at times, fall into the trap of thinking we're supposed to win when we forget that actually we're never called to win. We're always called to witness. That's it. Secondly, You've got, just get about the business of living. Let your life be shaped by things and doing things that are consequential. Secondly, let it be shaped and and, and, um, let it be doing about the things that are eternal, eternal living. In other words, live for 100 years from now. Your life, let it it live for 100 years from now. Ministry best happens in relationships, so don't miss ministry chances because of political. Church family, you have neighbors who have different signs in their yard than you do. You're going to cancel out one another's vote when you vote, right? They need the gospel like you do. Matthew 12, 36. Toby, there's one more verse up there. Doing this a little bit out of order, but Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, Jesus, this is red letter stuff. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word spoken. Let's be careful. Let's be careful. Are you saying we should withdraw from, no, heavens, no. No, 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 no. Pray, vote. We have examples all throughout the scripture of people who are engaged, who work from the inside. So get involved in politics, be a part of all of that. Um, just be careful and think about living eternally. Those who name call, those who spread gossip, uh, those who the only drum they beat is politics, that's not helpful to the kingdom. Be a, be a people who live eternally. In case you're wondering what a practical step might be on that right there, um, here's what I would encourage you. Have lunch with the person whose sign is different than yours. Like, go have lunch with them. Take them to a cup of coffee. Take them a cake. I mean, do something, right? And because we, we don't argue to um, learn these days. We argue to win. So just go have lunch and listen. Listen first, even. Listen first to how they do. If we're going to be people, have something um, to live out in the political arena I think it's crucial for us to pray first and have this posture of submission toward the authority. And then we just get about the business of living life, knowing that there are neighbors around us who care, excuse me, who need Jesus desperately. Last thing, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So when we pray and when we submit and we get about the business of living, it is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved? In other words, your neighbor whose sign is different than yours, whose bumper sticker is different than yours. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? So we hope that's what we do. We hope, and we hope in Jesus alone, not anything else. or not a, a political, we hope in Jesus alone. Why? Because he reveals to us what God desires for us, and what he desires for us is you and I to come to a knowledge of the truth, the, the kind of salvation that means we get to know the truth. The, the truth is um, uh, that is in Jesus and, and what it reveals as we live with him. He reveals to us what God desires for us. We hope and we hope in Jesus alone. Why? Because of verse 5. For there is one God 
And there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us, for all of us, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He reveals to us what God desires for us. And listen, he is the answer to our greatest greatest problem is not immigration policy or education policy or tax reform or anything else. Our greatest problem is the sin that indwells every one of us, donkeys and elephants. We desperately need someone to stand in the gap for us. And Jesus not only is doing that right now, but he has in the past laid down his life as a ransom so that you and I could be made right. Church family, our hope is not in a donkey, and it's not in an elephant. It is in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're going to come to communion to talk about that. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the deacons to go ahead and come forward. If they do so, if you haven't already kind of set your stuff and settled in, please go ahead and take a moment to do that. But we're going to take communion together. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, before he was betrayed and executed by the political system, he took his disciples into a room and they shared a meal together and he instituted this. He took bread and he broke it. He passed it around saying, this is my body which is broken for you. And Lord Jesus, we remember right now. We remember that you gave your life as a ransom for all. And we celebrate this, this testimony at this proper time. Thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is a a body broken that we could be made whole. Thank you that there is a righteousness that is ours now. Thank you that you care and have cared so deeply for us that you gave your life for us. Now, would you... Come and meet us even as we pause to remember. And we pray this in your name and for your sake.